Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this podcast I talk to artists and musicians about some of the challenges they face in their work, along with leading experts who offer advice and guidance. In this episode we're going to be looking at burnout. Later, psychologist Jake Lovelock will tell me why the events of this year have been a perfect storm for burnout experiences and how this previously little-known condition is now recognised by the World Health Organisation. Jake will describe some of the warning signs to look out for, as well as what to do if you think you're currently experiencing burnout. But first, I spoke to solo artist Fable about her experiences with burnout and depression. Fable took some time out from the industry a few years ago after a very difficult time, and she tells me why this was the best thing she could have done. She also describes some of the lessons she learned and how she looks after herself now. Let's hear from Fable. So we're here today to talk about burnout. And I know you had a really tough experience a few years ago, and I wondered if you'd be happy to share it again on the podcast. Definitely. I think it's something that I think a lot of people might connect with, especially writers and musicians and people that have a kind of pressure of a creative deadline and a, an output from you that you, you know, you always kind of have to be open to give that. And I think when people are going through kind of emotional times in their lives and there's still that kind of pressure required of them. For me, I needed to give it all a bit of breathing space about four years ago. It was a sort of culmination of personal situations and my own mental health sort of took a bit of a beating. I lost a really good friend and an ex-partner of mine to suicide. And yeah, I think it was the sort of, it kind of came around a time of the stress of I was trying to work a day job I was living in a large kind of shared house in Brighton and I think I was trying to still sort of find find the time to sit down and, and be musically productive and I think just the culmination of all those things at the same time kind of became quite overwhelming and I kind of needed to say to my manager like look I think now is sort of sort of time for me to just take a little bit of breathing space and separate myself from performing and wearing my heart on my sleeve all the time and like constantly being so open and engaged with other people that yeah I totally needed to have this sort of hiatus of about two years to kind of just do some normal things and, and get a really boring day job and sort of live in a different world for a couple of years which really helped actually really helped kind of ground me because I've been a gigging musician since I was about 12 or 13 and that's kind of been a constant thing that I've been doing throughout the whole of my adolescence and I think that was sort of the first time that I kind of took a step back and went right what what is life what is life outside of music because it becomes so sort of saturating and yeah I think just like taking taking that sort of break allowed me to understand slightly more what I was writing about even. So going back to that time, what were some of the warning signs, do you think, that you were approaching burnout? I was going into writing sessions with different people and I was feeling so anxious and I, I knew that this wasn't me because this sort of uncomfortableness around other people and sharing stuff with other people, I, I felt this overwhelming sense of gosh, I need to protect myself. I feel like I'm I'm all gooey on the inside and it's all on the outside and I'm sort of, yeah, it was a feeling of sort of alienation from myself and I think I clocked that quite quickly because I realised that this isn't 
my sort of normal personality type I'm quite outgoing and happy-go-lucky and and I kind of felt this sort of dark painting I kind of felt like I was painting myself in a dark light and I think I caught that quite quickly and that actually allowed me to sort of like break off and be like well I think I need a minute because I'm gonna end up creating a situation that I'm gonna find difficult to get out of and a lot of yeah the telltale signs were sort of I'd ring in sometimes and be like, I don't think I can make today's writing session. I think I'm having a really down day. Can't access that creative sort of cauldron that you need to to keep going with a job such as my own. And yeah, I think it's just like having the self-awareness to sort of to sort of be like, right, now is now's the time to reevaluate things. So it sounds like you had got quite a lot of traction in your career at a really early age. Was there any fear around stepping away from the success that you'd had so far to actually go and just take some time out? That's a really good point, Lucy, actually. Yeah, because you feel an overwhelming sense of guilt if you let something slip because of the opportunities and the work and the time that you've put in to sort of gain the momentum that you need in this really competitive industry. That was a massive part of the depression of it, I think, was the sort of the low self-esteem and the the shame of actually saying, no, I, I, I can't I can't do this right now. And I think a lot of the time you kind of the voice, the voice in your head that says, you're so lucky. Think about all the people that are working these jobs that they don't want to be in. And, and you're in this amazing position where you can you can write and you can be creative and free and a lot of the time it's not like that it's forcing creativity a lot of the time and sort of doing it on a very strict time schedule and blocking out your days which is a really hard hard thing to do when you're kind of struggling with your own mental health definitely and I think a lot of people will will find that will find that a struggle. How did that affect your identity when you took time out? I was <laughs> I was working at Next. I was like working at a retailer and I I had I, I was feeling so beige. I really I'd I'd sit on the top floor of, of menswear and I'd sit there and I'd write songs and poetry and, and just try and like capture the creative child like me in that in that moment of like working in a retail job. And I think it's something that it's something that really sort of stays stays with you when you're a performer. It's not, I don't know, I don't think you can sort of like block it out. And I think just like taking that break and realising that it was a compulsion and something that I needed to keep up because it was such an integral part of my identity. I think, yeah, it's not something you get, you sort of let go easily at all. Because that's so interesting. You took time out and you went and got a job in Next and you were still writing even when you had that job. Like that just shows, doesn't it? It is, you know, being a creative and being a songwriter, it's not a job. It is, it is a calling. It's a total compulsion. It's just like your means of like sort of communicating the stuff that you can't sort of put into everyday sentences of people you know it's definitely something like I need in my life. How did you recover in those couple of years what did you do to make yourself feel better? Gosh I think a lot of sort of taking it back to simple healthy lifestyle choices a lot of it because I think when I was living in Brighton and I was writing a lot of music and performing and gigging a lot there's a, a lifestyle that goes along with that that isn't necessarily sometimes the healthiest. You're you're up at all hours, you know, maybe drinking a little bit too much, having a little bit too much to smoke when you're, you know, you're also performing and using your muscle, using your voice. 
sort of a real radical change in how I thought of my day-to-day routine really helped me kind of get back on the horse with it I think just having some sort of like time frame to do things in so normally the, the old me would wake up around about you know midday and then I start pottering around and, and writing some songs like first thing in the morning that's exactly what I'd go to do first but now I think right okay I have a body I need to make sure that that's okay first I need to get up do some yoga make some food then I start my work then I kind of have a few hours of sort of singing and using the muscle. It sounds like you changed your life quite dramatically as a result of this experience. What would you say some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that period were? You have to change the way you talk to yourself in your head a lot of the time. And I think changing your relationship with yourself in your head is the most important thing that you can do through depression and also realising that your thoughts aren't necessarily your own and they're transient and they come and go and you don't have to act on them. And that really helps you get out of that spiral of when you're not in the moment and you're spiralling on a thought that isn't even real, that hasn't even happened yet. And you can just kind of like come back to the now, come back to your body. I think that's the most important thing that I've learned over this period. My mum's really got me into yoga, actually, bless her. So that's that's been something that has helped my mental health a lot is to just come out of the head. You don't need to always be living in it. There are other places to be, you know, you can you can be in your body or you can be absorbed in something. You don't always need to be in your head. And I think as a musician and a writer, we do spend a lot of time in our heads and I think, yeah, that's why we use music to come out of that place and to try and get some of that down into another sort of space. So how do you look after yourself now? I try to like just keep a really tight routine with myself and I set out at least two hours, three hours a day to focus on my work. I don't let it run over that unless I have a really excellent idea in the evening, which is kind of the time that a lot of great ideas sort of come to me is sort of just before bedtime. So I just try and get them down then. But I think, yeah, just managing time and, and using your space as a kind of like a temple to your work. So setting aside space for work setting aside a space for for reading or sleep or whatever it is it's difficult obviously in these sort of times because we're all stuck in one house I think being able to like set aside spaces for set tasks has really really helped me not get distracted because I'm quite an ADHD person as well I like to have everything out and just be in total chaos with it but I've kind of sort of picked up a lot of stuff from my mum of the, those old things that she used to say to me of, can you just like tidy up as you go? Um, <laughs> so I think it's just a, it's a process of coming of age really, isn't it as well? And of like trying to organise yourself and just be really like strict and disciplined with it as well. Because I think once you realise what's down the rabbit hole of like depression, you need to set up a structure for your life so that it makes it easier in each moment to sort of get through it. And finally, I know you've been doing some work with mental health charities. Could you tell me a little bit about that? So I've just started becoming an ambassador for a brilliant charity called My Black Dog. They are slightly like Samaritans. They've got a hotline you can call up, but instead of Samaritans on the other end of the phone, it's people that have had the sort of lived experience of of mental health struggles and, and have been through a similar sort of situation and 
you almost like straight away feel that you're talking to somebody who who isn't judging you, who can say, hey man, I know what you're going through. And as soon as I found out about this, I just thought, wow, that's that's so good because I think we need to talk about our problems without necessarily feeling judged or even when it's coming from a psychiatrist or a counsellor, there's still an element of like clinicalness to that. And I think just having that really human peer-to-peer acknowledgement of our struggles is is so human and so lost we really need that community back so I just thought wow what what a brilliant what a brilliant thing to kind of get behind and I would really encourage anybody who's struggling at the moment to check out my black dog and if they feel like they want to give them a call and and just have a little chat That was Fable, and if you want to check out the mental health charity she mentioned my black dog have a look in the podcast show notes This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. If you work in music and are struggling to cope, the Music Minds Matter listening ear and support service is available around the clock. Whatever you're going through right now, you can contact Music Minds Matter day or night on 0808 802 8008 or email mmm at helpmusicians.org.uk. Up next is psychologist Jake Lovelock. I saw Jake giving a webinar on burnout in the first lockdown, which was so helpful for me at the time. I'm delighted we were able to get Jake on the podcast to talk about the telltale warning signs he mentions, along with what you can do if you feel you're struggling. Here's Jake. Can you start by telling me a bit about your work as a psychologist? I work with people in high pressure environments to try and get the most out of people's bodies and and brains, whether that's in corporate, clinical or sporting contexts. I think there there are specifics to each of those domains, but... Fundamentally, our brains work quite similarly. And what we found is it's often the same techniques that work to build sort of a buffer against mental ill health as the same kind of techniques that work to improve our performance. And so it's quite easy to get buy-in sort of across the spectrum of mental health because the same resilience factors that are appropriate for absolutely everyone. That's fascinating because often, especially in music, we see the conversation as either looking after your health or either becoming a better musician. But what you're saying is actually they are almost the same thing. When we look at resilience sort of as a, as a principle, all the same things that when you're talking about someone who's struggling with things like burnout or common mental health disorders, some of the stuff that you'll be focusing on are the really simple things like how are you fueling your body and how often are you getting out and exercising? What kind of messages are you telling yourself in your head? What's your self-talk like? And it's all those same principles that when we're talking about maintaining our, our mental health are absolutely crucial. But when we're talking about getting really, really high levels of performance out of our minds, it's the exact same things. And so when, we, when we're working with elite athletes, it's the same things that we're talking about. It's how can we make marginal gains on our exercise? How can we make marginal gains on our diet? How can we improve the way that we talk to ourselves in those really high pressure moments? 
So moving on, you mentioned before about burnout, and obviously we had Fable before talking about her experiences of burnout and depression. I wondered if you could tell me as a psychologist just a little bit about burnout, a little bit about the background about it. Burnout is something I end up having conversations with clients quite often, but at its core, as its sort of biological core, burnout is this long-term and chronic sort of unmanaged form of stress. Stress, I think, generally gets a really bad reputation, especially when we're talking about it in, in, in elite sporting contexts. Stress can actually be really, really helpful for us. That sort of fight or flight response is designed to get us doing things, to get us acting on things. And we actually need it to improve our performance. It improves our creativity and motivates us. It's, it's a fantastic resource. The danger is that that fight or flight system was only ever designed to work over a really short period of time. On top of that, we now have the ability to sort of exaggerate that stress response just by the way that we think about situations. And so what burnout is at, at its simplest, sort of at its biological form, is when stress becomes too high or it goes on for too long, that's when we start becoming at risk of burnout. I would imagine that if you look at a touring musician who's performing on stage night after night, and they've probably travelled quite a long way to get to whatever venue they're playing at, a lot of musicians have a very high level of stress when they're performing on stage. So from a sort of biological point of view, if you have that exposure to physical stress every single night for sort of maybe three months, does that increase your risk of burnout? That's the type of thing that would increase your risk of burnout. Yeah, the research around burnout is actually really interesting because there doesn't seem to be a flat deadline as much as people would like me to say, how long can I cope with extended periods of stress? People would love me to say, you can do that for about three months and you'd be absolutely fine. But the, the research says that it varies from person to person. And the one thing that I love uh, picking out with burnout is the element of joy because I think it's, it's, it's such a subjective feeling. Sometimes it can be quite easily overlooked in the research, but joy is such a crucial part of burnout. When in the situation you've described, we're giving something our absolute all, it's so easy to squeeze that feeling of joy out. We're working slightly longer hours just to get stuff done. And maybe we start skipping the stuff that, that we feel like is important for our mental resources Maybe it's that gym session or we start going to bed much later than we normally would or should. Those behaviours do affect our mental resources. And without the intention, we start cutting joy out of our lives. And before we know it, we're in this situation where that thing that initially energised us, that thing that gave our life meaning, no longer gives us that same feeling. Our body starts to become slightly numb to it. When I'm working with clients, that's the definition I find is, is much more useful to talk to clients about, because it's that feeling that I, th I think motivates us much more to search for, to yearn for, rather than talking about the biological effects of stress. That's so true. A lot of the musicians I've spoken to say that the joy that they had when they first started performing, often three or four years down the line, isn't there anymore. And I think, especially with musicians, a lot of them are almost like mini entrepreneurs. You know, some might have their own label, some of them might manage themselves, or even if they don't, you know, they're sort of managing their own social media and things. And there's a huge amount of computer work and business work that goes alongside the performing. And so I really loved that when you were saying about how it's so easy to go, I've got you know, I've got 200 emails to reply to or whatever. I'm not going to see my friends tonight. Or, you know, I've just got to get through the work and actually I'm not going to go to the gym. And so 
you're saying that is the time when you really need to be doing those things. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly spot on. And the moment burnout is brought up, one of the conversations I, I have with clients is specifically around what are the things that you find energizing and what are the things that you find move you a little bit closer to burnout? Because it, it, if we can imagine burnout as sort of this sliding scale of mental resources, then there are always going to be things that help move us up that scale, that energize us and the things that we wake up for in the morning. But there's also going to be the other things that we really dread doing, that we really don't look forward to. And building an awareness of both of those things, while it's inevitable that we do do things that bring us down that scale, it's about creating an awareness of how much of that stuff are we doing? And is there a way that we could possibly do that less, maybe outsource it, put less emphasis on it? So what are some of the generic warning signs for burnout? The classic ones are things like feeling emotionally exhausted, feeling cynical or negative, withdrawal from social situations. There's lots of different symptoms in, this, in the classic medical term of the word. But I, what I tend to focus on is what the early signs of burnout are, rather than thinking about when you're in the state of burnout and you're, you are struggling to connect with joy and you're, you have the lack of energy and your sleep patterns have been changed. All of those things are really, really important. But I think if we can think about burnout in its preventative ways, because it, if, if burnout is this sliding scale, then it would be really, really effective for us to find what are the triggers at the early stages of burnout to stop us from sliding down the scale because it can be such a slippery slope downwards. And so the conversation will be about, for you personally, what are your personal symptoms of more chronic stress? What are the signs in your body that stress is getting to be a little bit too much? So the classic things are things like tight shoulders. You're kind of hunching your shoulders over and your, your head is kind of expecting a swipe from those predators back in the survival days. Or maybe it is things like social withdrawal. What I try to focus on is having one symptom that you can identify that you say, I know this thing is a, is a thing for me and I know I should be looking for it in the future. I've had this conversation with my partner and my own personal stress signature is definitely irritability. And as, as much of it's a personal flaw of mine, I know that once I've finished in my home office and if I go downstairs and uh, I'm not laughing at the same jokes my temper's perhaps slightly shorter than it normally is, then these are things that my partner can come to me and she can say, Jake, you're clearly a little bit more irritable than normal. Perhaps now is a good time to be taking a little bit of time for ourselves, an opportunity to de-stress, to reduce those stress levels so that we can uh, focus on being at our absolute best. And so what would you do at that point? This is where, and I'll go back to my theme of joy, this is where... I would make my absolute effort to connect again with joy. So there's lots of different things that people can be doing. And again, because what provides people with joy is so subjective, everyone's going to have a different thing on their list, the things that move them up that sort of sliding scale of burnout. But making time for yourselves, one of the dangers that we have with people that consider their job more of a calling than it is an actual job, one of the dangers you have with that is... We think, I absolutely love what I do, and so I'm going to spend all my time doing it, doing it, and it's going to engulf my entire life, which has its benefits, definitely. But then we need to make sure that we're finding time outside of that role to bring other elements of joy in. What other things do we enjoy in life? 
so that our downtime, our recovery time feels like it has a little bit more depth to it. It was interesting before when you were talking about some of the warning signs of burnout and you said, you know, maybe you're feeling a bit negative or cynical and you're not connecting with friends. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was that just sounds like this year, you know, like people haven't been seeing their friends. You just have to go on Twitter to see how cynical everyone's feeling at the moment. Can you tell me about this year and burnout? Have you seen a lot of people experiencing it? What we tend to have noticed, actually, is people have gone through this really interesting journey with the first lockdown and kind of experiencing this positive amount of stress at the beginning. Now, again, I'm going to caveat this by saying everyone has their own experiences of lockdown and of of stress, burnout, everything. But what we tend to have noticed as a general rule is that within the, the really short term at the beginning of lockdown and everyone's lives were turned upside down. Everyone seemed to have this sort of surge of acute stress, this short-term stress. And just like we've spoken about in the first sort of three months, that can be quite helpful. But when that starts to move over a much longer period of time, that's when if that same stress levels, the stress levels stay as elevated as they were before, it starts to become quite dangerous. And so moving into sort of the late period in the summer is when we started to have more conversations specifically around burnout. Because people had been in this stressed state for so long now, it had been serving them before we built perhaps some quite bad habits because it had been so helpful to use that stress response in the early days of lockdown. And what we've noticed is that as a result of how we manage that state of burnout, as a result of how we manage that sort of chronic stress stage, people seem to be having two sort of stage three responses to this where they're either experiencing this episode of post-traumatic growth, where we've been through this series of of chronic stress, and now we're learning and we're adapting out the back of it, or this alternative that is post-traumatic stress, where our stress levels are slightly elevated and we're now experiencing a, a prolonged burnout state. And so if someone's listening and, you know, they don't want to identify strongly maybe with the word burnout, but they do feel that they are in that state, Would it be about going back and finding joy, like you said before? It would be, yes. One thing that we really tend to overlook with stress is that we're always provided with stimulus to increase our stress levels. There's always enough things around us to stress us and bump those stress levels up, right? Whether that's the emails that you were talking about earlier earlier on, whether it's the the performance we have in a week or two weeks time that's that's stressing us, you know, there's going to be a huge list of things to increase our stress levels. But what we tend to really easily overlook is that just like your body needs a stimulus to increase those levels of stress, your body also needs a stimulus to decrease those levels of stress. There has to be a trigger to tell your body things are okay now. It's it's time to decrease those cortisol levels. It's time to decrease those stress levels. And that's really easily overlooked because when, when, we have, when I have one-to-ones with people and I say, so how have the last couple of weeks been? And they say, well, nothing significant has happened. I've just kind of plodded along. But that, just that effect of plodding along, not making time for ourselves, not making the time for the things that we know are relaxing or energizing. Maybe it's that bath in the evening that you can just never find time for because you're always busy. But it's those kinds of actions that decrease those stress levels that put you in a good state to make sure you're performing at your best the next opportunity you need to be. That was Jake Lovelock. And if you want to find out more about Jake and his work, visit his profile page on cognacity.co.uk and we'll link that in the podcast show notes. 
Thank you to Fable and Jake for speaking to me. If you'd like to get in touch to share your story, you can email elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or contact us on social media at Elevate Music Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You've been listening to the Elevate Music Podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. And if you would like to find out more about my research and work, have a look at lucyheyman.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thank you for listening and remember to check out our show notes and visit helpmusicians.org.uk if you need some help. In the meantime, take care and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks.